If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you? Are you ready for this holiday season to begin? I can't believe it's Thanksgiving already. It's been a wild ride this year. Do you feel that way? Lots of ups and downs, but November, at least for me, has been a little more stabilizing. I'm looking forward to a little downtime with my family and friends this weekend. My son Phoenix, who's in high school now, came home from school the other day and and said they were asked to write a, a page about what they're thankful for. Apparently, a few kids in class protested saying they don't have anything to write about. Uh, he thought it was that they were being crazy and couldn't understand them. And he warmed my heart by telling me that he wrote about me and about our family and said that he got to the end of the page and realized he had so much more to write. So, of course, I was incredibly proud. But I'm also grateful to have a child who is so thoughtful because as as much as we can try, we don't always get to see the fruits of our efforts as readily as we have with him. I have over the years tried to take every opportunity to you know, help him see the, the his good fortune, but you never really know what's going to stick. It's so easy, even as adults, to feel like you aren't doing enough or don't have enough, and because I struggle with this, I decided to start a, a gratitude journal exercise for myself probably three years ago or so to help me deal with these challenges for myself and help me acknowledge all the good that's actually going on in my life. And it's not that different from what Phoenix did here. I, I, I do a simplified version of other gratitude journals and exercises I've seen. I write down three things that I'm grateful for in the morning you know, to start my day. And I find myself repeating the same things a lot. But this repetition, I think, helps deepen my appreciation for these things. And once I once in a while, I actually get a surprise, something that just surfaces that I'm clearly processing more or less consciously, but I didn't really know was there. And then at night... I write down one thing that I'm grateful that happened to me during that day. Sometimes it's a mistake that I made that taught me a lesson. Sometimes it's an incredible meal I had or a conversation I had, or it's just sometimes just like having laughs with my kids, you know, uh, basically I'm just capturing a moment in time. And I, I find that doing this, you know, in, in, a, in a regular way, just kind of etches some of these experiences into my brain. And I think it just has an effect on my overall state of, of well-being. So it's, it's something that really only takes a couple of minutes a day. So I, I, I really suggest trying this. It's I've been finding it gives me just it gives me just about as much as you know meditation and exercise in terms of kind of like overall you know state of mind and peace. And uh, you know having a, a practice like this makes Thanksgiving uh, something you celebrate every day without the giant turkey and the, the preparation and all the cleanup. Just a reminder. That uh, Highway to Health is now on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud to make it easy for you to tune in anytime and wherever you are. If you're enjoying this uh, podcast, 
I have a huge, huge favor to ask. Would you show your support for this podcast by giving it a rating? It just takes a few seconds and it really helps our visibility. If you can say something you like in the comments section, that's another big plus for the podcast. Just scroll down to the bottom of your, of your Highway to Health feed on your podcast app, tap the number of stars you'd like to give it and write something if you're feeling inspired or grateful uh, that I continue to do these conversations. Somehow I've managed to produce uh, about 30 of these long form conversations so far, and I plan to keep them coming this next year. And I'm really hoping to get on a, a regular schedule so you can prepare to listen to them. And if you're feeling thankful that I continue to put out these conversations, would you also consider donating five to $10 a month for our Patreon? That's just a, a monthly thing that you, you contribute. And it really helps me to, to figure out budget for uh, getting more guests, getting our, our blog and resource site built. And, you know, as a, as it gets bigger, I'm also planning to do a, a donation to charity from, from any proceeds of the podcast. I'm probably going to be doing some work for care for people who don't uh, have easy access or who might be limited because of insurance. Um, you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash highway to health if you'd like to make a pledge today. I have two incredible guests on the show today. Uh, whether you're a parent or just interested in brain development, there's so much you'll learn from this conversation. Bob and Kathy DeBoer, the founders of A Chance to Grow in Minneapolis, have devoted 35 years of their, of their lives to childhood development. Their passion is abundantly clear in my conversation with Bob DeBoer here in 1978, after it was clear that their daughter Jessie was born with a significant brain injury, they began their search for treatments. Bob takes us through their journey, uh, what they discovered in their quest to give Jessie the highest quality of life possible, what they learned through pioneering experts uh, 38 years ago led to the programs that have been developed at A Chance to Grow over the past 35 years, 20 of them in the current location they're in in Northeast Minneapolis. Their interventions and programming are now in over 260 schools throughout the nation from teacher training workshops and mentoring that they've provided. I also get a chance to talk to Julie Newman, the Director of Outpatient Services, who has been with the organization for nearly 20 years. Bob and Kathy are retiring soon, and she talks uh, about how they will continue to build on the legacy that these two have created and what she has learned about how, to, how their integrative programming is making a difference in the lives of so many in their community. I start out here talking to Bob, and he exp he tells me about the story of the beginnings uh, after his daughter was born. Please enjoy my conversations here with Bob DeBoer and Julie Newman. So, so how old is your your daughter? Is Jesse? Yep. How old is she now? Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. And and so what? What was the? So this is back in seventy-nine. Seventy-nine. Wow. So so what? what where did you start at that point with with treatments? Um, it's interesting. Uh, so at birth, we were committed to a a, a full uh, natural uh, birth process, and so we happened to be at because it was delayed so much. We were at the university. And um, uh, the labor just wouldn't progress. And so mm -hmm. I grew up in hospitals, which is where I learned how to direct doctors at the age of 12. 
What did Mike? What, what, what were you doing there? <clears throat> I had polio at one years of age. Oh, is that right? And and my grandfather had a, a brother with polio, so I know quite a bit about it. And is he alive still? That he he would have been a hundred years old at this oh, point. So, but <laughs> probably but, not. No, but he but he lived to be in his eighty into his eighties. I got a whole riff on polio and what caused it and mm. treatments for it, but I won't go into it. <laughs> <today's>. <laughs> um. Uh, so I, I, by growing up uh, as a young person in the hospital a lot for treatments for my conditions, I learned how to uh, process medical terminology. I learned yeah, how to yeah. listen and when things were supposed to happen to me. So I ended up oftentimes directing doctors what they're supposed to do next for me. Yeah. So um, I learned one of the things I learned is that when the doctors aren't in front of you, they're probably making decisions about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, away from your ear. Yeah. So I went down to the hall, and there they were trying to make a decision about the birthing process because they had gotten, they felt that they they had done a in, in utero um, pricking of her uh, head to get the uh, read on her oxygen, and it was low. So they didn't know whether or not to do that again or just what. And I said, you know, let's move. Yeah. And um, born with a cord wrapped around her neck. Yeah. Uh, they thought they saw a seizure at birth. Uh, she had meconium staining so that um, they had to knock her out for two weeks yeah. on Chiari. Yeah. And um, because of what they observed as a possible seizure, they put her on uh, phenobarb for anti-seizure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we were there for two weeks in intensive care. She came home, uh, doped up on phenobarb, and so she really didn't have... Whatever sucking reflex she did have was really slammed by the phenobarb. Right. Yeah. So she really wasn't consistent in sucking and all of that. And it's funny because I am not funny, but I, this is not that much different from things that I see right now. I, I, I treat a lot of these same babies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, that's so often what I, people say. Oh, things have changed. Things have progressed. I don't see it. No, I don't it's either. It's still a very yeah. – actually a rising problem yeah. rather than uh, declining. But, yeah. Um, so we took her home, and uh, her uh, left side wasn't working. Okay. Uh, and so we just naturally did some stuff. But we began a search looking around the Twin Cities and then around the country for therapists who could uh, come up with a program to help her. What did, did, did they call it herbs palsy at that point, or what, did that, what was the no, term they, at that what point? They, what they referred to, the label they put on it first was cerebral palsy. Okay. And, um, um, and it was really a homo, homo uh, hemiplegia is really what it was because okay. the injury is more on the right side of the brain okay. and so all the left side function wasn't working but uh, we became aware of Art Sandler who was a therapist out east took her to see him and uh, before I'd done one day of therapy for Jess I said I want to start a center in Minnesota to take advantage of all the things you do because there's been stuff published where, where was he? Uh, out in Philadelphia in, in uh, Shriners or no, he was independent counsel, huh, huh. consultant. So we took him out there for three day, her out there for three days, and they sent us home with a program for Jesse that we did for three and a half years, um, involving about um, uh, well, let's see, how many hours? Six. 12, it was about thirty or forty hours a week, and it was broken into one, two three- and five-minute units, so it was very structured. And um, 
So for three and a half years, we had 80 volunteers coming through our house. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, 40 volunteers coming through our house every week. Wow. And um, in one-hour sessions. And so one would come in, then the next one come in, and, and all that. But parents began coming to us because they heard of what we were doing. We were on the radio or something. And so uh, Sandler said, once there are eight families in Minnesota, I'll come out here. And so after this first radio show we did, we had 80 callers, and then 40 people wanted to find out more. And so now we had eight families. So for 15 years, he came to the Twin Cities every six months to set up programs for kids. That's incredible. And he really created the foundation of my understanding and drive because he had been all over the world looking at human development and how you could speed up human development. And, hmm. um, you know, when you go to the, when you go to the, you would appreciate this with your medical background, when you go to uh, Brazil, this is back in the 50s, so it's still uh, a lot of primitive areas. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Uh, go visit um, um, primitive tribes that have, haven't really been exposed to modern culture. Yeah, uh, they don't have a, a spoken language, that an oral language, uh, oral history, and their vision acuity is very acute for far distance for hunting. Mm. But because babies in the in Brazil at that time were living in the jungle and in primitive conditions, uh, they never put their babies on the ground because of fear of insects and snakes. Yeah, yeah. And so those tribes didn't have near-point vision, nor did they have written language. Huh. And it's purely a function of the environment. Yeah, that's interesting. And lack of stimulation. And so they only had oral tradition. And this is like not even it's like 70 years ago. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, they just were really aware of the material or concrete conditions that leads to maturization of maturation of the brain or causes the myelinization at the neuron level. Yeah. What you're born with all your neurons that you'll ever have, they just aren't all myelinated. And myelin is around each neuron a fatty sheath that makes it go. Right. And so if you look at their profile for evaluation, it reflects the myelinization of the brain in the first six years of life. Mm-hmm. And so you have the lower levels of the brain myelinated first, and, uh, and it goes up all the way to the cortex. So that was his understanding of human development, which was way ahead of its time. Yeah. And the treatment was to stimulate those certain areas of the brain to facilitate or cause myelinization of neurons in those sections of the brain. And so that's wow. what all of the activity was. It wasn't to have a kid learn how to crawl. It's just that when babies are learning to crawl, that's when certain parts of the brain are becoming myelinated from that activity of crawling. Right. Or uh, they develop binocular vision by creeping on their hands and knees. Yeah. And so if they don't go through that, that won't develop. And there's many reasons that would cause a kid not to go through those stages. Therefore, that section of their brain, the myelization, that section of the brain is weak, inconsistent, just not there. And so uh, they set... Jesse up on this program, and um, it was more than we wanted or could do, so we've sought volunteers. So this is the first time I experienced where uh, there's so many people who wanted to help. Yeah. And so we had 40, fi- 40 families, 40 people coming through our house. Where did they? Where did everybody come from? Well, it was interesting. I really become became, well, it was so survival for me, so I just 
I had to put my pride away yeah. and uh, ask for help from complete strangers. Yeah. And what I did every spring and every fall, because what happens in the summer, things shift, uh, I would go to three or four churches and seek volunteers. And I'd come with Jesse and our little brochure. Finally, our, my friend said, look, Bob, your story's too long to tell. I'll help get volunteers, but create a brochure <laughs> or something. Right. And also, I created a brochure for Jesse's volunteer recruitment called A Chance to Grow. And little did I know how long that process would unfold. Um, so we started with 40 volunteers at Jess, and then we have to re- replace them when summertime comes or yeah. the fall comes and all that. But we were able to maintain it for about three and a half years. And so she really made dramatic improvements. And along the way, parents began coming more. So by the time that my wife and I quit our full-time current jobs and started A Chance to Grow, um, there were uh, 30 families on program on this. We had 1,000 volunteers working one hour a week with wow. all these families. Uh, so finally, we just pulled a Thelma Louise from the movie of Thelma Louise and quit our jobs <laughs> and said, well, there's a way, we have to keep doing this. To, yeah. Partially as a way to give back to people who helped us, yeah. but also to make other parents aware of how, the unlimited potential of their kids. Yeah. So that was really kind of the drive. It was a pretty powerful drive, but that's what launched it. And, um, you know, Sandler taught us all these things you could do for all these different conditions all of it brain stimulation, yeah, uh, as opposed to brain-based inter- interventions. Yeah, right. You know, they just may know of learning styles and things like that. But this was saying, if you stimulate the brain with a certain amount of frequency and intensity, yeah, uh, you can expect these kinds of gains. So we had kids who came to us 14 years of age, um, who had were in a semi-coma. They are sitting in a chair. Um, they were uh, cortically blind in the left eye. They were deaf in the left ear. They were had a hemiplegia. The left side wasn't working. This was a motocross accident, head-on injury. Mm, yeah. uh, the parents had the child in a in a nursing home because all of the care of someone who's fourteen is immense, much less any therapy. Yeah. And most nursing homes won't let you have these people come in volunteering, doing therapy. Right, right. So they had to take them home, and so they took them home. And um, after six months of his program, the art had developed for them. It was very intense. Uh, he came back walking and talking. And Incredible. Uh, he, he, what, typically when you have a head injury, a very intense injury, um, the insurance companies will pay for uh, multiple therapies daily. And then after six months, they stop. Well, that's also the time when the uh, recovery of the brain naturally slows down. So mm-hmm. they're just trying to take advantage of the first six months. Right, right. Um, you know, but all of a sudden they say it's not worth doing anymore. It's permanent, the change. And they, they'll just continue OT and, and speech, physical therapy once a day. Right. You know, it'll be maybe twice a week for those therapies. Well, what do you expect what kind of change can you expect with only twice a week in right. intervention? Right. Um, and so for uh, Brian, this little boy I'm talking about, he had, um, and he was he was 14, so he was a big boy. So just the care alone, custodial care, oh, was immense. Yeah. So he had like 
40 hours of personal care, tennis service, all that kind of care. And then we had about 60 volunteers working with them, these little Baptist ladies. And uh, it was interesting because just like their profile has a developmental profile and there's a progression, this head-injured 14-year-old went through that same progression in his therapy and in his progress. So there he was at 14, swearing like a sailor, (laughs) punching people, and all these things, biting like a little toddler. Uh, And he progressed out of that, and all all that stopped. But in the meantime, many of the personal care tenants, they weren't ours, it was a different company, quit because they didn't didn't like the beating or the swearing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, which is understandable. Yeah. But all this, those little Baptist volunteer ladies, they stuck with them. Yeah. Um, so when you've seen that happen, you know how to approach it. That doesn't mean you'll get it with every case yeah. with that, yeah, of course. that degree of injury. But it was really quite remarkable. And oftentimes what happens, and it kind of played out to a little bit this way, that once you have a normal kid, quote, whatever a normal is, um, and they have a head injury and they go way back, the image of what they were before the injury is what stays with the parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they're always wanting to get them back to that. And so if there's a sign of all this, because, again, six months, he's walking and talking, my gosh, yeah. he's fixed. He wasn't fixed. Right. So he still had other issues. But but uh, anyway, we know how to approach that kind of problem. Uh, and with, with with those kind of injuries, it's like, and I've and I've worked with some of this myself. You 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 make these huge gains in those first six months, right. and it and it feels like a miracle. It feels like such a huge success. But for all of us, I mean, if we if we think about you know high level performance of of athletes, let's say like exactly, it, it's always going to be those that last you know five percent that's hard to really sort of like get back to pin it. pin down. Yeah, yep. that's, and I, yep. I, that's exactly what I've seen with those yep. kinds of injuries yep. too. Now the one universal. Uh, truism that they taught us was that uh, we all are on this neurological continuum. We Mm -hmm. may may not like where we are on the continuum, but there's this interconnection of humanity. And so what uh, traditional medicine has done is basically give labels to lots of conditions. So, you know, one of the challenges that Chance to Grow has is we we are serving all those labels. So most people can't think that way. So that we serve clients from probably 15 to 20 different labels, uh, whether it's cerebral palsy or autism, learning disability, yeah, head I, injury. I noticed that, just like so many different things. Right, and it's because we are taught that they're on a neurological continuum. Yeah, yeah. And you can bring someone up that continuum or an accident can bring them down. Yeah. And so uh, there is this continuity or continuum of humanity, universality, that drives our work so that we just take the personal issues they are having and dealing with and um, you know start with what we have to offer so over the first uh, maybe 10 years of we were starting the agency uh, moving beyond what we were doing with uh, Sandler's uh, methods we kept looking for other interventions so we found first one that's been out there in the 40s is vision therapy mm-hmm. And they do one-on-one vision therapy, and it's uh, attempting to reorganize or structure the certain muscles in the eyes. And there's an, uh, a train uh, car worth of data showing that it doesn't work, and there's a train car to 
data of this showing that right. it does work. Yeah. It depends on whether you're you know, an ophthalmologist who makes you living from cutting muscles, I think. It seems to break down that way. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, a real challenge with um, um, the cost for most people for getting obtain, obtaining one-on-one vision therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. And th- in our appearance and experience, there are some uh, people who are charging too much. It's not available to families. Yeah. But so what, what we try to do is start to accumulate the therapies we found to be effective and consistent with our understanding of neurological organization right. and function. And so we saw that vision therapy, one-on-one vision therapy, since the 40s, you know, it does make an impact. Now, fortunately, Mayo has approved some of the vision therapy methods, so now you can always refer to that. Okay. Uh, um, and and do, do you build relationships with places like Mayo? Is that... not? It's more like this... We we will quote they're using similar methods. Gotcha. Okay. Or that, to that extent that they are. Is, is there anybody that's out there around the Twin Cities area that's that's seeing what you're doing and saying, well, this is beyond our scope or beyond our what we can ha- have covered for insurance, and I think th- this would be a good place well, for my, you. Or one, my, one, you know, like when we were just starting, my wife and I went to a development optometry uh, conference in California. Mm-hmm. And this little uh, gray-haired guy sat down to us on the plane. And lo and behold, he was going to it. And lo and behold, he was a development optometrist uh, <laughs> right. working in St. Paul. You know, so somehow put us together. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. he worked with us many, many years, which led to us having a development optometry yeah. clinic here. So at a chance to grow, we have all these clinics and uh, interventions that all complement trying to achieve uh, – for clients to achieve their highest potential. And so um, his name was Dr. Zwicky. He's since passed away. Mm-hmm. But some of our original equipment came from his clinic. Well, and the, the interesting thing about optometry, and I, I've been through it recently with my son who had some stuff going on with headaches and had yeah. had, had, had a mild concussion. That we're, you know, we were trying to figure yeah. out what was related to what. I'm right, sure you right. see this stuff all the time. Right. And um, turned out he was he, he had an astigmatism farsighted in one eye, and it's like you know with the way kids are on devices all the time, it was one of those things. Probably on top of, you know, just head lean, head leaning down <laughs> yeah. over the, the screen yeah. all the time. But but it's but it's important. So to, did glasses fix but, that? But so glasses have right, helped because astigmatism. Right. But but if you think about it, even like you're saying, within those you know those first years of life, if if we don't catch those kinds of things, the kind of developmental things that that go on as far as uh, movement and education yep. and all these things, you know, th- there's that can really delay a process. And, you right. know, a lot of times in, in the past, you know, it, and it's still going on. It's not like, but I, but I think we're much more aware of the fact that if something like that might be a possibility that if we really sort of Check explore that on, at a very early age, we can, we can, you know, deal with some of these things. But in the past, these would have just been, you know, kids labeled, yep. you know, not very smart or, or yeah, yeah, lazy, yeah, yeah lazy, yeah, exactly. all those things. Yeah, uh, so that was the first clinic we added, was the vision clinic. Okay. Then we uh, worked with, I always thought, well, there has to be something auditorily. 80% of what you learn comes through your visual pathway in school. So that's a key one because it'll be key for oh, yeah. for learning disabilities or reading problems, all of that hyperactivity. But um, uh, we became aware of Tomatis, who was an auto, uh, uh, um, ENT doctor from from um, uh, France. He took Jesse down to uh, Nevada, which was the only place in the U.S. we could get it. 
and we listened to tapes. The tape was trying to reorganize her auditory pathway. And I, I didn't like Tomatis much because it had all this Freudianism in it. And, <laughs> and, but the auditory part was sound. And so we could identify auditory, uh, 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 auditory problems, auditory dysfunction. And, but we also, it was, you had to drive and live down there for two weeks, which, again, didn't meet my criteria that you have to have uh, an intervention that ner- that's based on neurophysiological development of the normal person, yeah. and it has to be accessible to families. And that's the challenge because a lot of these therapies are one-on-one, and therefore mm-hmm. they are more expensive than taking an antibiotic. Right. Uh, but they're much more effective. And so uh, we became aware of a man from Denmark called uh, Johansson. And he developed an uh, auditory uh, tape device. So with that, now we have an audiologist on site. Mm -hmm. We can identify what frequencies is the kid perceiving auditorily, whether they have a right ear or left ear. It should be left ear or right ear dominant. And uh, and then whether you're too focused on the higher frequencies. Uh, If you are, you'll be distracted by the, the motor and the fan and the vent. Right. And so you're yeah. only focused on those things. And then the other frequencies where the teacher's giving instructions, they they don't pick up. They don't miss it. They miss it. And um, therefore, we can identify if they have that kind of preoccupation. And, and, that, and, and does that relate to right or left brain stuff then? Oh, yeah. Is that what you're figuring oh, yeah. out? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it just it, It's just to know that you should be all one-sided, left, 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 or right, right, right. Gotcha. So if you've got mixed dominance, which a lot of times kids who are distracted a lot or uh, maybe stutter or have things like that. Yeah, uh, there'll be uh, a left ear, and so uh, that auditory input goes in the left ear over to the right hemisphere. Then it has to cross over the corpus callosum to get to the language center, which is in the left hemisphere. Mm. And just that small little distance, uh, like for the word spaghetti, they'll say paschetti. Right. Because P moves more rapidly than S. Well, I'm thinking about, I had a stutter. I mean, if we yeah. listen to the podcast, my, for my listeners, you go back, you'll hear me stutter a lot. Yeah. I, had a, I had quite a stutter at one point. I started getting into music, and I, there must be something going on with that development in music that helped cure some of this. And, and I know there is, there is, there's a fairly famous singer, the guy who wrote... Um, Mel Tillis is who, the country singer. I was thinking of Lean On Me. Um, who's, the, who's that... Uh, Singer, it'll come to me. But he he had a horrible stutter and, and ended up writing all these like amazing songs. Bill Withers, I think his name is. Sure. Anyway, but yeah, it's a it's pretty pretty so common. So what? Um, so what we do here is if if we suspect that we we can at least give you the diagnostic exam to rule it out or confirm it because ah. uh, of our facilities and, and our staff here. But if there is a problem, then the, our our. Um, uh, uh, doctor uh, makes tapes, auditory tapes or CDs. Used to be auditory tapes, CDs, mm-hmm. and we stimulate them to be right eared if they're not right eared, or and we stimulate them to focus on the higher frequencies if they're too focused on the lower frequencies. Yeah, and we stimulate. Oh, I said that to be right eared. So all you have to do is listen to a CD twenty minutes a day, and after eighty hours of listening we've been able to dramatically change the auditory pathway so that uh, kids who uh, now st- they start uh, laughing appropriately at jokes because they understand them. 
it's such a it and, and such an it seems like such an affordable way to go it about is. addressing this. I it mean, is, and it's so easy to implement. It's just you have to have you know you got to look for a couple hundred da- days of doing this, yeah, or whatever it takes to get you to eighty hours, yeah. But um, it's very powerful. It's one of our cleanest interventions, and the thing that's nice about it is the um, audiogram that the doctor gives tells you whether it's there or not. I mean, you know, oh, nope, it's not, it doesn't have an auditory pathway, uh, auditory processing problem. There's no medical code for auditory processing problems, so that's not necessarily accepted. So I think I don't really try to find the most avant-garde interventions, but I see that. Well, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes that's where they're at still. And sometimes the the avant-garde is the common sense or the the simple approach that, you know, is somehow getting mixed too. So we had an auditory pathway, an auditory clinic, along with the vision clinic. And um, then... um, our, one of our board members discovered EEG neurofeedback. Mm-hmm. He provided the training, the staffing, and equipment for two years. When was uh, that? Twenty, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and um, uh, so we have a EEG neurofeedback clinic, and we have two interventions we can do through that. One of them is you have to come to the clinic, and we hook you up, uh, and then you look at a video that this takes your brain through certain pathways. Now we now have, we've added, we've had enough support to get some extra capability and we can rent these machines so you don't have to come to the clinic. Yeah. Um, but, um, and so a person sits in a lazy boy chair or a zero gravity chair and they look at a video and on, on a, on a sep- separate video, the technician could look at the brain waves of, that you have in your brain in real time. And so they make the targets such that your natural state will activate the game, and then they challenge you with making it more difficult. Mm. And so you just look at a computer screen, and it might be watching your favorite movie for kids. And when the, their brainwave is within the targets, the movie gets scratchy. It slows it down. So you drive the movie by how you think. Mm. Um, and so you go through 20-minute sessions, you know, we try to shoot for 20 to 40 sessions, and it's remarkable the changes we get from that. What, what does it cost to rent these? I think it's, oh, you would have asked me. I should have these figures. Um, or you can give me a range. I'm just curious. I think it's like uh, $600 for 20 sessions. Okay. You know, but the, re- the reason we add, add, uh, added it as an option is because not everybody wants to come drive all the way to this clinic. Well, that's just it. And I mean, if, if, if it's something that someone can take away, that's a, that's a pretty inexpensive right. way to, to address right. something. Right. right. So we've been able to get kids off of Ritalin or ADD and ADHD. Yeah. Wow. We've had people who have emotional traumas from yeah. Vietnam who all of a sudden are exposing emotions they never did for 30 years or 20 years. Uh, we have we had one, one little boy who was behavior outbursts or soul uh frequent and, and intensive that he was being uh, prescribed to go to a day treatment program for behavior issues, yeah. a, a very famous one in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and after five sessions of doing neurofeedback, he went from 25 incidents a day of explosive behavior to less than five. And um, so it's helpful for that. 
uh, it's, help, it's helpful for autistic kids who may sleep for the first time or begin talking some. Yeah. You know, it, it's also helpful for peak performances. Yeah. So people who, you know, there are people, well, it's one of the interventions, the other intervention I didn't mention is audiovisual entrainment, which is also prescribed by that clinic. And okay. you put on goggles uh, or you put on earphones and then these, uh, not goggles, but uh, like sunglasses that mm-hmm. have, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's lights flashing in front of you. And that's more inexpensive and it can be used by everybody in the family. Uh, so you may buy one. Those are around 600 too. You may buy one and because your son or daughter is ADHD, and it helps with that. Uh, but then you may use other members of the family may use it. Yeah. Uh, and so, and and for anybody who's who's you know stuck with this uh, a challenge like this that they're trying to you know get ongoing treatment for. I mean, I, I, I deal with parents with this stuff all the time. Right. Just carving out time, as you guys went through, I'm sure, and in, in the most extreme way. But yep. just just trying to carve out you know a couple of extra hours a week right. to have to drive to some place. Right. It's, it's not just the cost. It's the you know what, what, what that what that does to your careers and the yep. rest of your life. Yep. And so with. Uh, you know, AVE, we've had people uh, who've had a, a lifetime of, um, uh, what are the headaches called, the severe headaches? Migraines. Migraines, yes. They yeah, have, thank yeah. you. I need some AVE myself. <laughs> uh, uh, who have he- migraines and on medication are able to get off the medications and the migraines go away, yeah. which is incredible. It's like life-changing. Yeah. Um, and then we have people who buy the AVE to improve their golf game because it is a peak performance yeah. thing. So you have Olympic athletes using AVE. You have professional teams using AVE. Uh, the only thing that it's it's more like the shotgun approach. With an EEG neurofeedback, you see where the activity is in the brain in real time. Mm-hmm. Here you just have a choice of a number of programs, whether it's to relax, to focus, uh, migraines, you know, all various folks. You use yeah. punch in a number and you... Yeah do that therapy so because a lot of those things what a lot of people don't realize i think because i'm in that in that realm is that you're 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 having to disrupt some kind of neural patterning that's that's just found its way into your system over a period of time and some of those neural patterns work really well for you and allow you to play golf and do all these amazing things but then there might be there might be one pattern that's actually it could be you know it could be an anxiety it could be something that's that's just like taking you out of experience that experience you had trauma 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 you know it, it's funny because you know uh, uh, Tiger Woods just won this yep. this game yesterday it was kind of a big deal for a lot of people and I, I I've read some medical journal articles about what what's been going on with him because he's had uh, a few years of <laughs> stress <laughs> some stresses that led to all these chronic pain issues and 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 that did he really have knee and lower back problems or was this a side effect of all the emotional instability that had been going on for years yeah. and was starting to lead to this but it'd be a perfect example of how to use some of this yep. feedback yeah yeah so as we found these things, we added them to our array of services and interventions. Well, we also started with with um, traditional occupational therapy and speech therapy. So we mm-hmm. have a large clinic and, and clients served by that. But they started uh, investigating. See, I've always said to the staff, you know, listen to the parents because the parents 
they're not going to wait for the research to come in. Uh, their, their kid is a kid only once, and so they're going to do whatever they can, whatever they find. And they're paying. They're paying the most attention. Right, and so they keep looking, and they'll make those decisions. They can't wait for the research twenty years later. Yeah, that's. And sure. um, so I've learned very early on with Sandler that uh, listen to the parents because they are going to research things you haven't even thought of. Mm-hmm. You know, and so sometimes that's how we found some of these interventions by our parents pursuing them. And that, in fact, a lot of the work we do now here at, at our clinics uh, uh, stems from the interest in Mascotova. And uh, Svetlana Mascotova has an intervention that's uh, uh, reorganizing the early reflexes you're born with. And so we have a program called NDMI, which is the Neural Developmental. Uh, uh, motor uh, integration. Yeah. And uh, we have a lot of people that are coming to that because of emotional dysregulation. Yeah. And getting fabulous results. And so mm-hmm. we've added that in the last year. So we're always open to it. We're running out of space. You know, uh, it's cramped here and there. And you guys have a, an amazing building here. I, I, I got it's a, a tour. It's a 53,000 square foot building. We've got a school in down there yeah. that's t- t- uh, three quarters of that space. And and was there some? I heard something about was that was the building a, a gift or the property or something? Was that how, how did it, it was work a sheet out? metal plant? It was okay, and it was forty thousand square square feet. Now we've okay. added thirteen thousand more. Okay, uh, yeah, and it was a gift, and then we had to raise five million dollars to to renovate it all because it was just uh, no windows, uh, side walls, cement floor, and a roof. Uh, when we, we got it, so how how did that happen? Um, all I can say is probably a blessing. It's an interesting story because one of the people on our board was a priest. Again, we learned from our early years for Jesse that priests and religious leaders can be very helpful, mm-hmm. and they'll be attracted to, to our mission. That's yeah, true. Yeah, it's the sanctity of life. Um. And he knew this fellow who had this as a sheet metal plant. And the first time we, we met with him, uh, Father Jerry Jansky is his name, he said, well, you should give this building to them. And the guy had a million-dollar mortgage on it. He <laughs> says, you don't understand. <laughs> but later on, he came back because he got a l- larger plant. So he was renting this space, and this rent, rent, uh, the company that was in here uh, went up under. And so we put together a deal so we did we got ownership of a 40,000 square foot building without putting anything down wow because in the nonprofit world there's a catch-22 you want to raise money or borrow money but you don't have any money so right that's hard to do right and so that gave us the entree and the lead to it and this fellow continued on raising another half a million for us just on his own but so it was a real blessing yeah but he had trouble reading as a kid, so he understood what we were doing. Yeah, so he got it. I mean, I I feel like so many so many people have a story like this. I mean, every right. as you talk, I keep thinking of all sorts of either you know myself or people in my family. I went, my son went through a, a little challenge when he was younger, where he had this little delay in speech development that yeah. came out of nowhere. We started doing some occupational therapy. They started figuring out that. They were saying that there's this connection between that and and tactile stuff with hands. Yep. So we started doing all these these sensory uh, integration sensory, sensory integration stuff, and it was like 
a month. I mean, right. I, I couldn't believe how quickly right. it, it, it right. shifted. Right. So going back, I'm going to tell you a story. I forgot to tell you when we were talking about the auditory program. Oh yeah, yeah. And because it just made me think of Jesse when she was three and a half, and she was doing 40 hours a week on program, and it really literally was in one three and five minute units. I mean, the the staff here kind of think they have a structured program. Is you guys don't know what a structured program. That was six six days a week, you know, yeah. and it was broken into one, three, and five-minute units, just marching through it. But there was a time when she was probably four, and she, uh, she would do a lot of belly crawling or uh, creeping, interspersed with all these other activities. And so she played one of those old-fashioned, they still have them, I'm sure, uh, indestructible radio players, Fisher-Price. Oh, yeah, I remember. You could throw it off the roof and it yeah. still play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so she'd go down one of the row and then, and then back and then turn the radio on together, uh, the phonograph back on. And then she started to stammer and stutter. And, and then all of a sudden, Kathy, I mean, oh, yeah, Art told us that, that if you want to cause stuttering, you want to stimulate the, the subdominant hemisphere. You should have a dominant hemisphere, but if you have mixed dominance, the two hemispheres will struggle for... Uh, uh, dominance to, to function, hmm. and and so he's and so he took the rate, the record player out, and sure enough, the stammering went away. And this to prove ourselves, what we knew, <laughs> we put the, the phonograph back in, and she began to stammer again. So then we took it out, but uh, but that only came from the insight from the training from Sam. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this guy was just way ahead of his time, and we're very fortunate now for the last ten, fifteen years with all this brain search. Research coming out about the brain, yeah, and uh, we can take. I mean, it's just proving what Sandler told us, taught us twenty years ago. Yeah, you know, and so we can uh, hang some of our rationale on that stuff, which has yeah. been helpful. But the, you know, a lot of a lot of evidence based stuff comes from people just trying like this. You know, this right. this stuff starts to circulate after a while. But right. you know, you start pushing against these edges. I started doing this kind of you know osteopathic work, craniosacral work, in uh, twenty years ago. When it wasn't really in the you know popular eye yet, right. and you know I, I I just felt like there was something going on there, and I I was seeing it because I, I got into this field from having chronic back pain right. when I was too young, right. and so I started I started working with that right away, and just started just started seeing the evidence of of you know getting involved at, at that neurological level and right. then you know through my you know network of people just hearing the, the i mean if i look back at 20 years ago what was going on with back surgeries compared to now or hip surgeries compared to now right. the, what we know and what we start right. you know what we've kind of figured out in this time period is just incredible i had a curvature of the spine so uh every vertebrae in my back is fused hmm. i was in an s yeah and um so when they gave me a spinal fusion, you would lay flat on your back for six months in a big cast. Now they get up in a week yeah, or even sooner. Because we know that's one of the worst things you can do to just yeah. keep you immobile well, they like had, that. They thought they had to fuse that bone and grow it without stressing gotcha. it. Gotcha. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about circulation and knowledge and that, then we finally, back in the early um, 90s, got back to the issue of education because that was my background. And I said to Sam, I want to start a center for kids with reading problems because I had read, read all the research, how it was tied to the visual development. All yeah. And so now today we've, well, first we developed a, pro, a curriculum called Boost Up 
Then it was called Smart Stimulating Maturity Through Accelerated Readiness Training, which was on the wall behind yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted to do was to t- pass this knowledge, integrate it in a way so it could be used by more people mm-hmm. or benefit yeah. from it. And so we developed SMART, and basically the first year we had a summer program with it, and the children did uh, 80 hours, two hours a day for eight weeks. And after 80 hours, they made a six-and-a-half-month gain in reading without working on reading. Hmm. So we were impacting that myelin in the brainstem, midbrain, where a lot of those un- unconscious mo- uh, motor skills are there yeah. for your yeah. vision. Yeah. So now today, if you look on the wall behind you or on the, to the right of you, you see all the place. To, I'm sorry, to your left of you, to my right, uh, you'll see a map oh, yeah, uh, yeah. of all the schools that have implemented our SMART program. We've uh, trained, um, I think it's uh, 6,000 teachers to implement SMART in 300 schools across the nation. And... Um, we also developed a curriculum for pre, early child, pre, pre-K. And in southern Minnesota, we're in, in uh, many, many schools where these pre-K students, we, we de- developed this, proved the, the effectiveness with a five-year study with Head Start. And the Head Start kids uh, who got it 20 minutes a day, not I thought we had to be 30 to make a difference. Yeah. We were, with the younger kid, we, even 20 minutes a day showed up the effect. And so those... Uh, Head Start children who had done SMART for 20 minutes uh, uh, in kindergarten performed equal to or above their peers, middle class peers. Mm -hmm. In first grade, the same. And even in second grade, they performed equal to or above um, middle class peers nationally on national tests. So he dramatically intervened in the trajectory of their life. Uh, And it was just a matter of training teachers how to implement all this. Yeah. And then we, d- we provide mentoring for three years to learn. And so uh, we're all over the uh, the country now with SMART. And it's, I mean, for a while in, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, all 4,000 kindergartens in the whole district did 20 minutes a day of SMART. How, yeah. did, how, how did you get into these other places? Or this, or the, or your this, this concept We're, of smart. Well, we were very fortunate. We got a, a two-year million-dollar grant from the feds. We got uh, grants from local foundations for the Minnesota work. That's good. Yeah. Um, and the thing that was that the reason we started with K three because we knew if you did early childhood, uh, people could say, "Well, that's just maturation." Right. Right. Because there's no easy marker. Yeah. Whereas when you're dealing with kids that are in school. They know who's failing in reading. Yeah. And the reading measure became the measure of our effectiveness or not. Wow. And Cold Springs up by St. Cloud, uh, they did uh, SMART and they did our AVE. Um, and they had seven preschoolers who qualified for special ed services. And normally once you get into special ed in, in Minnesota, you never get out. I mean, the rate of success right. in leaving is is yeah. approaching zero, you know. Yeah. And um, all, by second grade, those uh, uh, preschool special ed kids, uh, all of them were off their IEP. They no longer had special ed. That's incredible. Uh, some were still a little bit behind, but yeah. but it saved the district thousands of dollars. 
because of all the extra services they don't need anymore. You know, so those kinds of experiences talk to a principal. The other thing that happens, if you look at the map, you'll see clusters. And so uh, one family will go to their principal and say, are you doing smart? You should do it. Otherwise, I'm taking my kid to this other school. Right. So there's some built-in kind of uh, control for parents. So the more it gets out there, the more pressure gets put on, basically. Right, right. So that's something that happens outside of the building, other than this is our training room. Yeah, yeah. And and are there people starting to become interested in just you know being here for for training? Do you guys do very specific? Well, we bring stuff? it to them. I oh, mean, you that's you do okay. Uh, that's the point because otherwise it's too expensive. And School won't send them. Yeah, travel yeah. hotel. You got to build out more. Right, right. You know, <laughs> so um, um, uh, there's workshops all over the Upper Midwest in the summer, and then if we're in a community like we had one in. I think in uh, Massachusetts this summer, okay. where we took the training and the course and everything. And that's the thing. We wanted this to be a national curriculum, not just a charismatic person or a, uh, or a, a combination of uh, really out there people. Right. And so and you guys have really developed this, this, this methodology and, right. and tested and, and years of this. Right, right. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, we were up in northwestern Minnesota, and that the demand up there was like 80 people wanted to attend the workshop. Well, 80 is not a very effective size to train people the right, level yeah, we do. Yeah. So we split. They happened to be a building up there where they could have, would hold, the rooms would hold 40. Mm-hmm. So we had two, 40, uh, two groups of 40 uh, being trained. And I know some of the people who were up there said it was sometimes ironic how um, – that you know, we had to have so many people who could present this stuff in order to be work beyond just our own immediate uh, yeah. uh, 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 surroundings. And, and so, this one person was sharing how she left one of the forty sessions across the hall to the other one, and they were on the same point in the lecture. You know, and that's what we wanted. We knew we had. We soon discovered with the federal grant that the man who was effective in in uh, Developing Smart was a na- man named uh, Dr. Lyle Palmer. And so we started with his work, and we said we need to make this uniform and consistent. Because sometimes people say, well, Dr. Palmer never told us that. Mm-hmm. And so I think he varied his pre- presentation some. Yeah, yeah. And we knew if it's going to be nationalized and replicated, it had to be consistent. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time in training our, our presenters. And even our mentors, we have a, a, rigor, a rigorous training that you're going to go out to some school and they say why do I do this you need to know yeah but um, so that's where we've took it outside the building gotcha and how how so how how much time and involvement do you have to do to to, to get into this federal grant program well the federal grant is a fluke I mean we were blessed but yeah we, is that right I mean it is hard to get into I mean you have to have connections okay. we didn't have connections and we were told that our grant was the best written grant so we were we were lucky that way but okay. um uh, but, um, you know, and I think then the the feds were at a point where they were still uh, considering people who were new, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of the grants go out now go to big institutions, universities. Gotcha, all that, yeah. And all the window dressings of that. So you, you had a little window in there probably being not too, not, not around for too long. But right, that's <laughs> why I say we were blessed, just the yeah. right place, yeah. right time. Uh, but I know it's very difficult to get those kinds of grants. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, I love what you guys are doing here. I've already referred somebody to you, actually, Good. <laughs> since, since Julie and I talked, and I feel like I, I want to try to be more involved with you guys. I, sure. I, I, I see the, the way that I can you know, stay connected with you guys, and I thought this would be a, a good start for us just to, for me to get to, to know your story yep. a little bit yep. more. Yeah. I think um, you might want to attend one of our smart workshops the first day. Yeah, I, I, because, I, I'm totally interested. Yeah, it's three days. And uh, with it, we uh, teach teachers who are, you know, they don't want to know a lot. They just want the techniques. Right, yeah. But uh, if you know why, you do a much better job. So, yeah. But the first day has a lot of the uh, underpinning uh, neurological principles about how the brain develops, how you can speed up brain development. Yeah. That part, given your background, you would like. Yeah. Uh, then the rest of it is just going to vision, auditory, tactile, and how that uh, affects your learning and how to... Uh, rectified if it's not organized right. Yeah. And then frequencies and that. And then we have the curriculum guide we go through so you understand all of that. And then we have a session where we ask them, now where are you going to implement this? Some schools do it in a dedicated classroom. If mm-hmm. they don't have space, yeah. they may do it in, in the fayette room or on the stage. Or sometimes they uh, use the hallways. Um, or sometimes they just have the kids move the desks. Hmm. They do it in the classroom. So it can be really implemented on almost any kind of setting. And is it more in- implemented in kind of early childhood development uh, what, Well, spaces, the approach we recommended is that uh, for the first three, years, uh, first three years of education, you learn how to read. After that, they assume it. So starting mm-hmm. in fourth grade, they're not teaching you how to read anymore. Now you're using reading to learn geography or social studies or whatever. And so usually by second or third grade, if you have reading problems, you're condemned to, a, you know, the bluebird group, the low readers yeah, or yeah. struggle or a special ed or title one. So we say it's very effective for pre-K through third grade. Third, third grade. Now, if you have kids who still can't read or are struggling uh, or any other kinds of labels, it could be helpful for older kids. We've done it with high school kids, mm-hmm. and it may impact on their reading skills. But sometimes then what you need is more of some of these clinical interventions yeah. that are more finely tuned to the disability. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This is, this is great. It's great information for my listeners. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that people knew about you too. Sure. I appreciate it because we're a well-kept secret. We don't have an advertising <laughs> budget to speak of. Yeah, yeah. But uh, most of our people find us from word of mouth. Yeah. Most families who have kids with special needs know other families with special needs. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what we've tried to concentrate on, is working with those kids. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bob DeBoer, folks. Such an incredible guy. So inspiring. It's a great conversation. And uh, there's more to come here. I'm going to continue on here with my conversation with Julie Newman. She is, again, the... the director of outpatient services at A Chance to Grow. And here is our conversation. So you you started here... Um, tw- is it tw- 20 years yet? Or? 2001. 2001. 2001, yeah. almost 20 years. 
So, yeah. And did you come as to do PT or how did, how did you end up No, here? I wasn't anything at that time. Ah. I was, I had just gotten done oh, with college. Right, yeah. Yep. I was a personal trainer and I was working at a restaurant near here. Um, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, yeah. just really struggling with just finding a direction. Yeah. Um, and some people came in for lunch and they said, oh, you have a background in exercise science. You should come work for us at New Vision School. And so I came in and I interviewed and the next day I was a teacher, a movement teacher, um, and I had about 70 kids in and out of my classroom a day, 45-minute blocks, doing mm. movement intervention. Um, I had never worked with children before. I had never worked in groups with kids. Um, so it was really a drop-and-go yeah. kind of learning situation. But the movement intervention was based off of that SMART that Bob was talking about. Yeah. So um, we called it Boost Up at that time. And you know, it was just kind of in its infancy stages at, at that time. And so I learned, and I took classes, and um, I just fell in love with what the the mission is and was and yeah. continues to be. So New Visions, and then um, I gradually started mentoring for the SMART program. So I started working in northwest Minnesota and um, North Dakota, South Dakota, all those places, um, mentoring for the program and really seeing that it made a difference, that the kids that we were working with really made gains, physiological, yeah. neurological, learning, readiness gains. Yeah. Um, so I knew that there was something about it that was really special. Um, and again, just the energy in the building, too. You just come and you know that everybody's here for the same reason. Yeah. Um, That's a little different than, like, I'm sure, as because I've been in the training world as well, that, yes. you know, when you're working with adults, there are some people who are there because for accountability because they mm-hmm. need you to be there to exercise and and you know there are some people who go like get really into your methodology and their their game for whatever you're going to try with them but mm-hmm. i found when i switched over and started doing more pediatric work like the immediacy of the shifts that would go on were just like the thing that really drew me in and and yeah. kind of kept me connected absolutely well and the possibility for change yeah i mean yeah. it's pretty amazing to see the just the plasticity with kids. Yeah. Whereas when you're working with an adult, there's compensations and accommodations that are in place that you kind of have to strip away. Yeah. You know, and as a younger person, I didn't really understand that. You know, I was drawn to injuries yeah. when I was a personal trainer. I yeah. ended up working with the people who had trauma or had injuries or were pregnant, yeah, like yeah. the people who really needed a sensitive hand. So that was kind of my first Yeah, that was um, that was me feeling. Too. Yeah, like you just knew that that was your draw, your yeah. your your energy field, but um, so then parents started asking me for, um, just for help for their children. Can you write me a you know request for this or that? And I'm like, I have no degree. I can't support you or your child in any yeah. individualized intervention or support system. Um, so I decided to go to OT school at that time okay. um, and went to occupational therapy school, got my master's degree, um, and continued to work at a chance to grow through that time with our audiologist, with our vision therapist, wherever they'd let me work, yeah. just to keep you know keep my hand and keep my pulse. So I knew I wanted to be in pediatrics. Was, was um, there a reason you chose OT over PT? Because of the flexibility of it. Mm-hmm. I was pre-physical therapy in school yeah. and then lost interest. I was really going to go down the um, path of... Um, more uh, injury management um, and then just working with the kids I'm like this is where I want to be and just seeing the different interventions here and therapists here I realized that OT just I had a lot more options Mm -hmm. a lot more freedom to it and that's just where I wanted to be Um, and really that emotional piece of it too and that functional perspective of it really drew me um, to become an occupational therapist Uh, so I did school-based for a while when I came back here Bob gave me a job so and so I did school-based intervention then I did outpatient and just 
really worked throughout a lot of the different um, clinics here at a chance to grow and now it's 18 years later. So how, how much outpatient yeah. goes on through here? Mm-hmm. So at a chance to grow we have speech therapy, we have occupational therapy, and we have a program called neurodevelopmental movement integration. Okay. So um, those are kind of in our outpatient realm, but we also do have vision therapy. You know, we have our audiologist who really just does evaluations, and then it's home program for uh, the JIAS program, the Johansson okay. Individualized Auditory System Program. Okay. Um, and then we also do have the EEG neurofeedback programs. So all of that, those are our clinics here. Um, but as far as in-house here, you know, for OT and speech, we are here five days a week, 10-hour days. People travel. You know, we have some um, clients who are very close within walking distance. We have some who drive two hours away to see mm-hmm. us. Yeah. So, um, and we do a wait list just for um, what we do here. We're very foundational in component. We're very multidisciplinary in component, which people appreciate. We look at the whole person yeah. um, and not just the arm or the leg or the ear or the eye. Right. Um, and all of us are trained in that in here. So from our opto- optometrists to our speech therapists, like we all, uh, Bob and Kathy DeBoer really felt strongly about us having that multidisciplinary approach. So looking at that full brain, full body, mm-hmm. um, enough to make those appropriate um, recommendations and really working with a team of professionals to help that child or person reach their max potential. Um, so knowing that we're not the expert in everything, but we know enough to require or request that they do specific activities to help them get to that to that next level. So we're not wasting time, yeah, you know. We yeah. feel so many families come to me and say, well, we did this intervention and it made, um, you know, our, our child progressed for three to six months and then they lost it. Yeah. So yeah. it's that readiness piece. So really working at that foundation and then building up from there. Yeah. And that's what we're really known for here at A Chance to Grow. And so how, so if somebody, somebody's interested in coming to do work here, mm-hmm. is there, there's, there's an evaluation process once, you know, they're, they're on the wait list, they get, they get in. Is there, is there some kind of funding that goes on here? Uh, can people pay out of pocket? What are the options? Yeah. So for options, we do work with insurance as much as we can. Okay. So there are some programs that are insurance based here, um, which is, occupational therapy, speech therapy, uh, our vision, um, our, our optometrist is still in some type of um, insurance programs, okay. um, audiology as well. Uh, it's really important, though, with insurance these days to check your own provider yeah. and see if we are covered through that piece of it. Um, and then we also do offer private pay. So our neurofeedback is completely private pay. Um, our NDMI program is private pay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also take private pay options. But if we can go through insurance, we really do support that. Yeah. Um, we do take all um, insurance here as well, so from state-funded to private insurances okay. as much as we can. Okay. So, are, are there any f- foundations that are helping you know families mm-hmm. in, in, involved in situations like this where they don't have the funding, their insurance isn't covering, they can get some kind of you know help? We don't have a generalized, but we do have um, some funding, like for vision, they actually go to Head Start sites, and we have some Medica oh, funding okay. yeah. um, and specific funding for that for children who are who are uninsured or underinsured. Um, but that's more for that Head Start piece. Gotcha. Um, but what we try to do here is we do try to make things, um, again, what Bob talked about in his interview was neurologically sound, meaning it has to make sense, but it also has to be affordable for families, and it also has to be accessible for families. Mm-hmm. You know, So that's why our programs here are much more affordable than others. Yeah. So instead of charging $5,000 to $8,000 for vision therapy, we charge per session. Yeah. Um, even that's why we created NDMI is because um, a lot of families, their child didn't 
fall under their criteria for occupational therapy for insurance-based intervention, but um, they needed work. They needed foundational work. So we created a program that was much more affordable and much more geared toward that specific individual. Uh, So we really try to keep our prices affordable here. Um, We work with payment plans. Um, We are a nonprofit, uh, so we can work with that, but we also need to keep the doors open for us. So it's it's that balance. It's always that balance, but, um, you know, we are really working – again to continue to create programs and affordability for families and and that type of thing okay so and you guys you guys have some some uh change happening right now in terms of uh leadership i i, I hear mm-hmm. yeah it's so bob and kathy DeBoer, our co-founders yeah. have um have retired in the past few months okay. though they're still very active in yeah. our community uh, because they are our founders they're on our board of directors they're consultants um we couldn't we couldn't go without them, yeah. um, but they're working more in a supportive capacity. So we do have a new executive director, Erica Dickerson, who has been with a chance to grow for many years um, as she's a speech-language pathologist by degree, um, and then she came as a director in clinical services and just kind of took over directing everything and now is our, our executive director. So okay. we're very excited to have her leadership here and her vision um, and support So in, in moving forward. Is this changing your role then? A little bit, yeah. So I'm a director now. (laughs) So I'm director of outpatient services. um, But I still, I had them promise me that I could still see a few kids. Okay, good, (laughs) good. That's my happy place. No, I I get it. Yep. So I I still need to, you know, to have my hands on on what's going on. Um, And again, working with families because they're our pulse point here at A Chance to Grow. You know, our families tell us what their needs are, um, where the stressors are, what we can do to support them more, um, how we need to change. And we really do listen to our families and what their needs are and try to work as much as we can with them. Um, I'm lucky now as a director, I do get to work with families uh, more one-to-one as far as just talking with them about um, concerns, questions. Um, I also get to support my teams more mm-hmm. to really create the programs that we want to, to do in the future. So what's next? Um, how do we build our programs and continue to have that multidisciplinary piece and really support our families and our parents in the best way possible? Yeah. So what's the what's the newest and latest that's going on here? Is, is, are there some changes mm-hmm. happening as far as what you're what you're you know learning that's working that you want to keep developing? Mm-hmm. Well, we have been using a lot of the Mascotoba method. Okay. So it is. Yeah. Uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, I, yeah, it's really amazing. We it's the Mascotoba Neurosensory Motor Reflex Integration Program. Okay. Um, Dr. Mascotoba has been. Um, is the creator and founder of the program for over 30 years. Um, she's originally from Europe, has come over to the U.S. and um, has a, a nonprofit in Florida. And a lot of us have just started taking trainings with her, and mm-hmm. really it's it's made a world of difference. And, again, that's why we have our wait list and people calling us here is because, again, we look at that foundational piece, not just, you know, again, yeah. we don't look at just the hand. We look at where it's coming right. from and that everything yeah. else. Um, and the Mascotoba program has really helped support our developmental movement belief system here um, through that NR, um, through the neurological organization, um, and Art Sandler's work that we have really is our cornerstone of a chance to grow. Yeah. And they're just so beautifully complementary that it made sense to work with them both. Um, so a lot of us are continuing training in that Mascotoba program, which is really helping us with that neurological perspective. Um, and again, that foundational piece, you know, it's... It's wonderful that um, our babies are living. You know, there's so many m- medical miracles You're that right. we have. But at the same time, in utero and stressful births and stressful beginnings, 
you know, cause disruption in that in that sensory motor loop or yeah. that you know that that yes. developmental sequence. Um, so a lot of these work, the work that we're doing now can support some of those things that were kind of missed at that be, those beginning stages. Yeah. Um, so we work a lot with that. We've worked, we're working a lot more with children who come from any trauma backgrounds. We work with a lot of families who um, have either adoptive families, yeah. um, foster yeah, I've done care. Some of that work too. Yeah. So we're we're doing a lot more of that and seeing that a lot of the the foundational work that we're doing um, supports the families through that perspective as well. So we're kind of growing in just what we're what we're working with, yeah. and knowing that you know again with the neurophysiological approach we take, we work with the brain, we work with the body, we work with that myelination, and how to get that and that specificity of it. So um, as far as programs, you know, we're just continuing to work together to learn from each other, to to grow and understand what we do and how to appropriately um, refer. You know, we're doing a lot more work with. Um, integrative medicine we're doing a lot more work with uh, just understanding uh, neurological chiropractic like a lot of these support systems that we don't have in here but we're tr- right. we're creating you know relationships with them so we can work together for that child too yeah that's great do, do you guys have any connection with with mental health service then too is that any any part of what you guys do we don't okay so again we work with um, different systems with that, but uh, really just but our support referral. is that outpatient. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And we work more of that outpatient capacity. Okay. So typically if children or adults are in some type of day program or, you know, acute situation, that's where they're at. And then we support them if they're in or out of that acute situation. Gotcha. Um, but we do work with, with families who are in that crisis situation. We're a support to them. But are, we are mandated. You know, we are an outpatient facility. Yeah. So Are, are, you, are you finding that... that therapists who are involved in uh, early childhood trauma or have relationships to that mm-hmm. know about the work that you guys are doing or do we need to get this out there a little bit more i think we just need to continue we yeah. need to continue getting out there and we need to know what's out there too to support that yeah. um again i think the more we know each other and who does what you know we can make those better recommendations and support families more and i think families come to us very overwhelmed yeah. Um, because of things that haven't worked or things that they've tried or things that people have told them to do. Um, so a lot of our families come here f- just for the relationship, knowing that we would never refer or recommend anything that we didn't trust right. um, and that we are really here for their child. You know, the, the biggest compliment I can get is if a parent is sleeping in our lobby because that tells me that they trust us with their child yeah. because yeah. they are exhausted and they are stressed and they are up at 1 o'clock in the morning trying to Google everything that they can do to help their child. Um, So knowing that they can trust us for an hour or however long with their child and know that um, we're doing the best thing that we can and the best work we can, that's just... That's all we can do here. Right. So we do that every day. The therapists here just have come in with the heart um, and the support for our families. Well, I love what you guys are doing. I'm glad glad to get a chance to like learn more about what you guys are doing, and um, you know you guys are going to be part of my referral network for sure. Wonderful, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to do this with me too. Absolutely, thank you. Thanks. What an amazing place a chance to grow is. I first met with them this past summer and got a tour from Julie. Uh, from the front desk to seeing the parents moving around the facility, the, the positive vibe I felt was undeniable there. 
I think it's I think it stems from the care and thoughtfulness that Bob and Kathy invested for so many years, and it was an honor to spend time with Bob and Julie to do these conversations. And and they know better than anyone just how much support is needed, especially for parents uh, who are going through a, a challenge with their child. I want to give a shout out to my uncle Dave, uh, one of my big supporters here on Highwood Health, for introducing me, me to these guys. If any of you have someone that you think I should have a conversation with here on the podcast, you can connect us through my email address. That's jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. As always, I, I love to hear your thoughts and feedback. Let me know what you thought about this conversation uh, or any experience you may have that might relate to it. And I'd be happy to share it on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Be good to yourself. Be kind to each other and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.